Jesus, help us to see something of your glory uh, today as we hear your word. And I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. I want to turn your attention to that passage in the book of Romans. Paul's letter to the Romans, that's printed in the bulletin, Romans 8. And a couple of weeks ago, you might recall that we were in Romans 8 and we were looking at how Paul encourages people who are going through suffering. And he's talking about how even creation itself is groaning, longing for redemption, and how we ourselves groan and long for redemption. Creation is subject to corruption, and we are subject to corruption as well, and so we are groaning along with creation, longing for redemption. And so I want to continue on this, this, uh, this theme of how to have hope in the midst of suffering. A couple of weeks ago, Paul focused on the glory to come. We have the groaning season now, but there's glory to come, and that's a perspective we need to have as we struggle and as we suffer in this life. And we're going to look at another perspective that he gives us today. It's so important because, as uh, one writer, a humanities professor, said in one of her, her books, this is a lady named Jessica Wilson. She's writing about themes of suffering in Christian literature. And she says at one point in this chapter, Jessica Wilson Uh, That suffering is unavoidable. We don't have a choice whether or not we're going to suffer. But she said we do have a a choice in how we respond to the suffering. And, And we can choose to turn away from God, as she puts it, in pride and protest, turning away from God. Or we can turn to God in the midst of our suffering in humility and openness to what God wants to do. I wonder if you agree with it. We don't have a choice. We live in a fallen world. We're going to face suffering. But we do have a choice in how we respond to it. Are we going to be open to what God wants to do? Our suffering is not meaningless. And Paul says in Romans 8 that one way to have hope in, in the midst of suffering is to know that God is at work for our good in it. Romans 8.28, one of the most beloved things that Paul ever wrote. And some people have called this the pillow for the suffering Christian. You can rest on this. Romans 8.28. And the ESV Bible uh, puts it this way. Now, I've memorized it in another version, so I might mangle this. But he says, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who have been called according to his purposes. Different translations say it a little bit differently. But what I want us to do is just think about Romans 8.28. 
This is one of the most precious promises in all of Scripture. And just let's go through it, and, and there's a simple outline that I want to use as we think about Romans 8, 28. Um, who? What? And why? Who? What? And why? For whom are these promises that Paul is unfolding in Romans 8? Um, well, he says, for those who love God. For those who love God. We know that for those who love God, these things are true. These precious promises are yours. If you love God. So that raises a searching question, doesn't it? Do I love God? Do I truly love God? Now, each Sunday we confess that we don't love God like we should. Every Sunday, it's part of our liturgy to say that we do not love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we fall short in our love for God. I don't know if you can say that. I can say that. There are competing loves. There are other things that pull at my heart for my affection. I don't love God as I ought to love Him. I need to grow in the love of God. Because there's other things that pull my heart away from God. I need to grow in the love of God just like I need to grow in love for other people. I need to grow in love for my spouse, for my children, for my church, for my neighbor. So we confess every Sunday, I don't love God like I ought to love Him. But that's not the question. Do you love God as you ought to love Him? We can all say, I think, no. I need to grow. The question is, do you love Him? Do you love God? Uh, do you want to know God? Another way of putting this, maybe. Do you want to have fellowship with Him? Is that part of your desire? Is that part of your life? Or are you striving for that? Are you arranging your life in such a way that you can know God better? I think your participation in worship is an indication that you do. Do you want to know God? Do you, do you want to please God? Do you want to glorify Him? Do you want to honor Him? Not as you ought to, but is it there? If so, this promise is for you. These promises are for those who love God because they know God first loved them. This is love, 1 John 4.10. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and He gave His Son as an atoning sacrifice or a propitiation for our sin. So that's the very definition of a Christian, is that I love God because I know He loved me and I know He loved me because of the cross of Christ. So if that's you, these promises are for you. 
If that's not you, I want you to love God. I want you to know that the cross is for you. That God loves you and wants you to enter into this relationship where you can trust that even in the midst of suffering, this God who has demonstrated this love at the cross is at work for your good. It makes a difference to love God and to be in that relationship with Him. If I, you know, for example, if in the middle of the night I heard something outside and I looked out the window in the dark and I saw somebody coming down the driveway and I didn't know who this person was, well, then I'd get a little anxious. I'd be worried, what is this man's intention for, for me, towards me, and for my family? But if, as he got closer, I saw that that was my father coming down the driveway in the dark. Well, I'd wonder what he's up to, (laughs) if he's okay. But I'd no longer be worried. I would no longer be afraid. Because that's my beloved father. I love him. He loves me. I know his intentions towards me are good. I may not understand what he's doing in the dark. But because I love him and I know that he loves me, I can trust him. And, and so this is, this is why it's so comforting and encouraging and challenging that what Paul is saying here, that for those who love God, who know God like this, it's comforting because the only qualification is to love God. It's challenging because I think it means, at least for me, that I need to grow in my love for God so that I have this deep fellowship so that I can grow in my trust. That even in the dark, I can trust Him because He's good. So, that's who it's for, those who love God. But what is God doing in the midst of suffering for those who love Him? Well, He says... We've already said it, but here it is again. All things work together for good for those who love God. It's not all things are good. It's not that the suffering in and of itself is good. It's certainly not that evil is good. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that God works those things that are not good for good. That God can do that. And that's how God works in the lives of his children. So it's not that all things are good. It's that God is always good. And he's working all things for good. And he's not preaching positive thinking here. He's he's not saying, you know, if you just think positive thoughts and you put out, today people talk about vibrations. What's the, was that the Beach Boys? Good, 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 good vibrations? Well, it's come back. And this idea of like, if we just send out good vibrations into the universe, if we just manifest what we want with our positive thinking, this is repackaged positive thinking for a younger generation, that then the universe will respond to us and give us good things. We just got to get the good vibes and the good thoughts going. 
That's not what he's saying here. That's not what he's advocating. Because what that is, is that ultimately that's trust in yourself. That's trust in your thinking. That's a great burden on you, isn't it? If the things are not working out, then it's your fault because your thoughts are not aligned yet properly with the universe. Or on the other side, that can lead to boasting because when good things are happening, well, who's the cause of that? Well, it's because of my good vibrations I'm putting out there. He's not calling us to trust in our wishful thinking or our positive thoughts here. He's not calling us to put our faith in our faith. He's calling us to put our faith in God. All things work together for good for those who love God. Why? Because God is the one who's at work. And so that's what we're to trust. That He's at work in our suffering seasons. And let's think about how God does that. Some of you can look back on your life and you can see how God used suffering seasons to work in your life in a way that he could not have apart from those suffering times, those groaning times. We can think of some of us looking back on those difficult times, how God was at work. Here's some examples that I've thought of recently that I've come across of how God works for good in the suffering seasons. A pastor who's battling cancer writes, I don't want to ever go back to my prayer life the way it was before I had cancer. Because he's experienced a deeper intimacy, a deeper fellowship with God. A mother who lost two children to a genetic disease. Two infants. Two infants. She, out of that heartbreaking, horrendous experience, wrote a book, Holding On to Hope, Pathways to the Heart of God Through Suffering. She discovered something in her suffering. Pathways to the Heart of God. And she started a ministry of helping grieving parents. They come to her retreats and her and her husband help others. She has profound compassion and wisdom for people who suffer like that. God used that. Paul's own example. Paul was a man who knew suffering. And his own example he gives in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We sing about this. His thorn in the flesh. He had this incredible vision. This incredible spiritual experience. The Corinthians were into spiritual experiences. They wanted to experience the power and presence of God in profound ways. Nothing wrong with that, but then that can lead to pride. And and Paul had this experience. He said, it could have puffed me up. This experience, this vision that I had, it could have led to my pride. But he said that God gave him, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, a thorn in the flesh, so to keep me from becoming conceited, 
He gave me this thorn in the flesh so that I might know that his grace is sufficient. It's all of grace. And so there are things that God does in our suffering. And the the grand objective of all that is verse 29 of Romans 8. What is God ultimately trying to do for his children? What's his ultimate goal? Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, here it is, here it is. What is the will of God for sons and daughters of God? To be conformed to the image of his son. To be more like Christ, the perfect man, the perfect image bearer of God. To restore the image of God in us. And oftentimes he uses the scalpel of suffering to do that work. And that's hard because we don't like suffering. We don't like pain. What we want is what one of my children said when they had a toothache not too long ago. Make it stop. Give me the medicine to make it stop. That's what we want. And thank God for the medicine that makes pain stop. And thank God for the times when he intervenes and brings healing and wholeness and and, and new life. It's wonderful that God does that, but sometimes the thorn stays. And the pain goes on. The pain persists. So what we are to do in those times is to, as, as Paul is talked about here is is go to the Lord in prayer and groan in the spirit and get a perspective on our pain. And Paul would encourage us when we can't make sense of our pain and we don't see anything redemptive in our pain or in the pain of others to remember this, that the glory that is to come will far outweigh the suffering of the experience now. To put it in that eternal perspective. This life is a blink of the eye compared to eternity. In our gospel reading, Jesus reveals his divine glory to his disciples. They see the glory of Christ. It's a foretaste of what all of God's sons and daughters are going to experience in heaven. They're going to see the glory of God in Christ. They're going to behold God. And then when we do that, the scripture says we will be like him. When we behold him as he is. And then, as Vance Havner says, I love this quote. I just came across it yesterday. The question marks will be turned to exclamation points in heaven. Sorrow will be turned to singing and pain will be lost in praise. We shall see his glory. That's the blessed hope. But in the meantime, God is at work for our good. And why? Why is God at work for our good in all the circumstances of our life? Why is he conforming us, us of all people? Why does he have this grand project in mind for us to conform us to the image of his son, the perfect man, the perfect God man? Why is God taking a group of people like us and doing this incredible work. The most important thing that's happening in our life is this. 
God doing this work. Why is he doing it? Well, it says he's called us according to his own purposes. In other words, it's not because of something in us that's eliciting him to do this work. Like, we're the ones who really have it together. You know, God, we are the holy ones. We are the smart ones. We are the talented ones. You really need us on your team. It's not something in us. It's something in him. It's his will. It's his purpose. That leads to humility, friends. That ought to lead to humility that I thank God that he has loved me out of his sheer grace to do this work in my life. Humility. It leads to humility, but it also leads to great confidence and great assurance because if God the Father has chosen me, if God has called me and put me into his family as a son, as a daughter, through Christ, as I put my faith in Christ and he puts his spirit in me, then he's not going to kick me out of the family. He's not going to turn me out of the house. If he's, let me put it another way, more prosaic maybe, but if he's picked me on his team, he's not going to say, okay, your batting average is too low, get off. You're failing too much. You're on the bench. No, you're off the team. We're going to trade you. God does not do that to his sons and daughters. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6 So you can be confident that for those who love God and have been called according to his purpose, this is what God is doing. And one day, the question marks will be turned into exclamation points. The prayers will be turned to praise. The sorrows to singing. The groaning to glory. So I don't know what kind of suffering you might be facing or if you're in a suffering season. Thank God if you're not in the suffering season. He says, in all things, he's working. So even in the good season, he's at work. But if you're in a suffering season, it's not meaningless. God's working in you to shape you and to conform you more and more into the image of his son. Let's pray. Maybe take just a minute to think about a suffering thing in your life or in the life of those you love, a painful thing. And we can Pray about that now and ask God to turn that into something that's a strengthening thing and to give us hope and to give others hope that he's at work in the midst of it. Let me quote a prayer. We'll close this way. This is a prayer by that humanities professor that I quoted at the beginning. This is from Jessica Wilson. 
She has a prayer at the end of that chapter. Beautiful prayer. Suffering servant, crucified God, we pray that in our suffering we may not fear the evil things that you have overcome. We pray how to know to suffer well, how to look to you and patiently await the good things you are doing through our suffering and the pain endured by those we love. We pray that we would think of others suffering more often than our own suffering and that you would give us eyes to see how to help those who are suffering. May we be less the cause of suffering of others and more an instrument of your goodness in the world. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.